Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. It's me, Alexandra. We're on a solo podcast, just me and you today. Where are you right now? I really wish I could see you. Now, if you're currently like pooping or something like that, I don't wish I could see you, but I fully support you in it. But I love imagining that you're on a plane, that you're on a train. Do people even take trains anymore? I love trains. I had some really magical times in my life on trains. But wherever you are, I'm happy to be hanging out with you for this next 30 minutes. And I can set the intention right now that I want to make this next 30 minutes magical. That my goal is to inspire you, to awaken you, to remind you of who you are deep within. Not who you are, like your personality and identity and all of that. So I wanted to talk about feeling like you're a black sheep. Now, the term black sheep, hold on, let me Google it because I'm wondering if that has any negative connotations or where the hell that came from. Black sheep origin. Okay, the, it's, an idiom, it's an idiom. Okay, we get that. The term originated from the occasional black sheep, which are born into a flock of white sheep. Black wool is considered commercially undesirable because it cannot be dyed. In 18th and 19th century England, the black color of the sheep was seen as a mark of the devil. Okay. So I guess when we think about black sheep, it can kind of like bring in any kind of like racial conversation or agenda, which I'm guessing the people that created the term black sheep were super racist because we're looking at 18th century, then we're looking at racism. Um, So let's throw that out. Let's get rid of it right? Oh, it comes from the Bible. So it is coming from probably like very far back, very far back racism. So what's another What's another idiom that we can reinstate for ourselves, those of us who maybe grew up with that idiom to define ourselves? A social pariah, an outcast, a reject, an exile? Ouch. Dang. What about the, you know, the, the freaky freak in the family? Wow, there's so much bad egg, miscreant. Oh my goodness. So this is interesting. So I've always felt like I was a little bit of a weirdo or a little bit of like, I didn't quite fit in. If I think back to like, let's say growing up in Marietta, Georgia and going to the Presbyterian church and having a mom who was a single mom and my dad wasn't around. So no one ever really met my dad. None of my high school or middle school friends ever met my dad. Um, He was Brazilian. And at the time that was like, okay, I'm like, you know, I'm Latin um, or half Latin. And my mom was like new agey. And so she like played Enya and lit candles at our dinner table. And people thought it was so weird. Right. So I always felt like a black sheep. And I remember, again, we're trying to find a better word for that. Like, I always felt like an outsider. Let's call it outsider. Ouchie. Okay, outsider. And I remember being in like a minivan in Marietta, Georgia in 1996. And this girl saying, you don't seem like a divorce kid. And I was like, I'm a fucking divorce kid. I'm the daughter of an immigrant. 
um, we live probably below the, you know, kind of what's considered some level of poverty at that time. Um, though my mom had a good job. So let's take that back. Let's say I'm not hundred percent sure what the exact numbers were at that time, but we were living paycheck to paycheck. My mom was working really hard to give me everything I needed, but I felt like an outsider. I remember going to, um, Walmart to get sandals and I really wanted Tiva sandals. Is that what they're called? Tiva Tava? I really wanted those sandals because all the other kids had them. And my mom was like, well, let's just get the one, the version at Walmart. And I was mortified. I think this happens with a lot of kids around clothes and shoes where it's like people make fun of you. So people like really made fun of me. And I remember, um, sitting on the stage, I was in a play and I remember sitting on the stage and I was chosen in this play. Like there was, um, what was the name of that play? I can't remember, but I was like the, the inner child of the lead actress who was a senior in high school. And I was young. And so I was, I was her inner child. And I remember I was at the rehearsal and I was wearing these Walmart Tevas or Tevas or whatever. And I remember her saying, oh, I like your sandals and me going, well, I don't like these, but I'm saving up for the real ones. And I don't know how much the real ones were, but you had to go to Macy's to get them. You had to go to the fancy place at the mall. And I ended up saving enough money to get them. And that was a big deal. And I know it was because I wanted to fit in. And the same thing happened to me a few years later um, in seventh grade, I felt like such an outsider again. And it was when I was starting to share my sort of sexual nature and my sexually experimental self. And I was like making out with a lot of different girls on the cheerleading squad and like making out with boys. And, and then I got really slut shamed and like called a hoe and a whore and a slut and all this stuff. And so I thought, well, I better try to fit in because I don't fit in. And because I don't fit in, it's not safe. And people are looking at me and they're yelling at me and they're threatening me and all this stuff. I was in seventh grade. And so I remember thinking, well, if I go get some shoes from, from or some pants from Abercrombie and I get Timberland boots, I'm going to fit in with everybody. Because at the time that was all the rage. And I tried to hide in those Timberland boots. And um, I may have told this story at some point on a retreat or something. So but I tried to hide between the, in those Timberland boots and those Abercrombie jeans. And then I, I don't know what the turning point was, but I was just like, this is so not me. And I threw those things out. I got rid of those freaking ugly Timberland boots. God bless if you have Timberland boots. I got rid of those Abercrombie jeans and I showed up to the first day of ninth grade. Now we're in ninth grade because eighth grade was when I was really having a meltdown and when I tried to assimilate. And I showed up to the first day of school at ninth grade and I had on a padded push-up bra. I had on a brown polyester button like a buttoned up little shirt it was like 70s inspired with these blue flowers on it and it was from wet seal and i had on a brown corduroy skirt and brown chunky heeled loafers and i was like bitch this is who i am and i don't know what happened that summer between eighth and ninth grade but something must have happened i bet i went to brazil and I made out with a hot guy or something. Oh my God. It's all coming back to me, you guys. I went to Brazil and I had a sexual awakening. I told this story on um, this podcast with this guy, Jared, Aaron Clara Jones, husband or partner. 
um, what was his podcast called? I'm going to find it and put it in the show notes where I told this story of having this sexual awakening in the Amazon jungle of Brazil, where I was on this fishing trip with my dad. And there was this guy there who was so hot and I want, he was 17 and I was 14 about to go into freshman year of high school. And, um, he was so hot. He was like soccer player. Just, oh my goodness. So gorgeous. Had that kind of Leonardo DiCaprio hair cut, you know, when it was like down the middle, like the Romeo and Juliet time. And I think because this guy showed interest in me because um, he actually went down on me, which was terrifying for the first time. I was like, what is happening? But we ended up writing each other letters and I'm guessing that because of this sexual awakening, I was able to fully claim myself and be like, yeah, I'm an outsider. Yeah, I don't fit in with you all, with your minivans and your Abercrombie and Fitch. And you think I'm a slut. And so you know what? I'm just going to wear my cute little wet seal outfit with my heels to the first day of school in ninth grade. And I remember having the audacity to walk down the hallway and just be like, I don't give a fuck. Okay. That being said, I did in some way give a fuck because older girls were threatening me. And people were like, so-and-so is going to haze you. There's this thing hazing, you know, where they would tie freshmen to the tree or they would write freshman girls' names like on a list and hang it on the side of the, the school in the parking lot and would say like who all the slutty girls are, you know, whatever. The girls who were getting targeted for being sexually empowered or more embodied or more confident. So. I actually got a ride to school from my neighbor across the street who was super cool, like stoner. They were part of like the cool hippie crowd. And so I immediately was like, kind of like, oh, I'm hanging out with the cool older boys. I'm wearing my cool outfit. I'm showing up in this old yellow kind of Cadillac to the first day of school. I'm fucking bawling. <laughs> and I definitely felt like hot shit. And I think part of it is because I had embraced myself over that summer and I had embraced feeling like an outsider. Once I got to high school, I hung out with the theater kids and the hippies and I actually didn't hang out with pretty much anyone from my grade. So it made my senior year really awkward. And because I was friends with the older kids and then they all graduated and went to college. And so my senior year... I think I sat like at the school assemblies alone and like all of the the good girls um, sat together and I didn't quite fit in with, like I'm sure there was some other bad girl kind of posses, but I, I didn't quite fit in there because I had all A's and I was in AP classes and, you know, all of this kind of thing. I'm telling you this story, not because I want to reminisce about the horrors of middle school and high school, because, but because because of my spirituality and sexuality, I felt like an outsider for most of my life. And there was something that happened, you know, in the last probably five to eight years where people started becoming more open around their spirituality and sexuality, talking about it more. Um, you know, it was fascinating because I feel like when I kind of came out as being bisexual when I was like 25 or something and I was fell in love with my girlfriend at the time, I had a lot of straight female friends that were my spiritual women friends, but who couldn't wrap their heads around my sexuality and now my bisexuality. 
So cut to, that was when I was 25, cut to 13 years later. And I remember a few years ago, so maybe 12 years later, a few years ago, sitting at a dinner party in LA and having some women who are like super spiritual and conscious and like part of the LA influencer conscious team being like, wow, so you had relationships with women. And it was such an interesting thing when the thing that makes you an outsider becomes cool. And I talk about this on the podcast with Lux ATL. So check that one out if you haven't. But when the thing that makes you an outsider, the thing that people have hated on you for, being woo-woo, being queer, being whatever, but when that becomes cool, like what then? And, you know, it's like some people do things in a trendy way, like they try something on, but what if it's actually not a trend for you? It's like, wait a minute, you guys, my tr- it's not trendy for me to be mystical or um, to tune into energy or whatever. This isn't a trend. This has been part of my life for uh, 25 years, you know, like my mom gave me my first crystal when I was in high school and I went to my first spiritual teacher and intuitive when I was like 13. So it's for me, it's just, it's not a trend, you know, it's not tapping into something like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's something to when something that you love, that's a part of your identity and how you have found a sense of belonging on this planet and how you have, and something that you've actually had to fight a lot of battles around, like being the weirdo who who was into the spiritual stuff in Marietta, Georgia at a young age and being like, people think we're really weird and, or being, being the one who's ex- exploring sexually and being the one who's called out on that. So it's, you're sort of outsider. If you have an outsider kind of a story or a badge of honor or a, you know, pain point, it may be around something completely different than I'm talking about. Mine are, have really been around my spiritual and sexual identities, which have formed the body of work and the the, the greater life questions that I um, ask myself. You may have your own kind of places that you felt like an outsider where you're like, you know, Dang it. And then all of a sudden somebody can, it can be cool. The thing that was the most painful for you can be actually cool. And like, that's an interesting thing to experience. What I'm curious and what I feel like I attract in especially the programs that I've run or other women who have kind of been on their spiritual and sexual discovery path for a while. Not that they all have. And I actually love having the ones that haven't come in who are like, I have no idea, but there's, there's usually a good amount of women in each of my programs. Who's like, bitch, I've been doing rituals with the moon for a long time. Or, you know, I've been using my sexual and met, my using my sexual energy to manifest for a long time. And I love having that, that diverse um, experience in any group that I lead because it's like, it creates a richness and a sense of belonging so that, you know, there's like enough people that come in that are new to the, to the space. And then enough people that come in that are, um, have been diving into this, for a while, their sexual awakening, healing, expression, self-acceptance, and also their spiritual um, connection to themselves. 
And with that comes their creative life. And I think their expression comes from both of those places or the expression comes from the places that have hurt right along the path. Um, I don't know what guided me to share about that today. I think I was just thinking, and as I was talking to Lux on our podcast, thinking about like feeling like an outsider and then letting that become a part of your identity of being like, I'm rebellious, I'm an outsider. And then healing that too, by being like, you know what? It's okay to be accepted. It's okay to be a part of a group. And I think this is something that I'll keep talking about because I know that there are many women that come into my programs that are like, I don't have anywhere else in my life to have the conversations about my spirituality and sexuality that feel so important to who I am. Like, I don't ha- I can't talk about it with my partner. I can't talk about it with my parents, with my family. I can't even talk about it with my best friends. And, and so like they need to come into community where they can be open and honest about it with other women who are like, yeah, me too. And I've been in the, I've, I've had that same thing. I've, I've actually had a lot of, um, amazing friends around me for a long time who have been spiritually as in, as mystical, as devoted as me. We've chanted, chanted Kirtan since, you know, back in the East village of New York when we were like 20, you know, which was 18 years ago. So that's been less of a pain point for me. I think I found my spiritual weirdo friends when I was quite young, which is a huge, huge blessing. I don't take that for granted. But the integration of my my sexuality has taken a lot longer and it's been definitely a pain point of like, oh, can I divulge this part of me to the spiritual friends? So in my communities, I really wanted to be clear that both are allowed. We can have the conversations about our sexuality and our spirituality and our artistry and money. Um and love and intimacy and opening our hearts and that there's no formulas around any of it. And you guys know me. And I think that that my own kind of outsider rebel mentality makes me like, if someone is selling a formula around any of that to get you into their, to, to you know, pay attention to their work, then I just don't believe it. I'm a no to that because it's so complex and individual. And because I have that kind of identity of that outsider rebel um, I don't, I don't want someone else's strategy. I want to find my own and I want you to find your own, your own secret sauce around your, the way you give your gifts to the world, the way you meet your calling, the way you meet your passions, the way you meet your sexuality. Like no one can explain that to you, but you, but me or someone else can provide you ways to find that within yourself. And that's what I love doing is creating opportunities for women to meet themselves through the reflection of other women, through intimate connection with other women and different practices and different rituals so that you get to see who you really are. And you're like, oh, wow, that's my secret sauce around creativity. Or that's that's my biggest place of fear. No one can tell you what that is, but you. And you can see, oh, do I have an identity? Like I'm, I'm fessing up to, I have an identity that sometimes keeps me separate from others. Um, you know, later I learned about being a manifester and I was like, oh, your aura repels people. I'm like, bitch, why didn't you tell me this when I was 12? Oh, if only, right. 
But then I'm also like, is that just an excuse? What is it? Why are why are manifestors harder to, you know, like what is it? If you know the answer to that, DM me, please. Cause that's definitely a that's still a pain point. I'm like, damn it, that that corroborates my outsider story that my aura apparently repels people. Um, it, fellow manifestors out there, please let me know. Uh, but I do think maybe that's just the initial reaction. People are either really drawn in or they're not. And it's pretty clear. But I think sometimes the people that are repelled really fast, it's because I have some medicine for them too. Um, by medicine, I mean, um, you know, a reflection in in that they can see in me of themselves. So, you know, we just keep getting deeper and going deeper and connecting more and it's a new year and I am really excited about it. I feel like last year I climbed through a lot of like deep pain and some of it I haven't shared on this podcast, some things that I've been going through with my family and parents, illness, things, and it's just too present to share the grief around that, but I went through a ton of grief last year and partially I had come off having a miscarriage and leaving California and leaving some of my best friends and, you know, not leaving them forever, but leaving being in the same city as them. So even though coming into 2022, I was like, I'm here, I'm with my partner. We live in this beautiful home. I've, you know, I've manifested this. I've called it in. There was also a lot of grief and my relationship with a parent and, um, my relationship with the miscarriage and my relationship missing my best friends. And uh, anyway, I feel like I did a lot of deep feeling and healing this year. And it was a lot of it was private. Couldn't talk about it in real time. And I feel like 2023 feels a lot more open and expansive preparing for my next book to come out. I want to support a bunch of women to also share and express and to love themselves and to find a deep spiritual community. And I think more than anything, I'm realizing that like, wow, spiritual community and belonging, finding a place where you can just be real and be true and show up and be loved and be held feels like so important um, versus me going, oh, I have this really specific message to you that's going to support you. I'm just like, no. Come, bring me your wild, bring me your broken, messy, rage, grief. Like, bring me your full spectrum. Like, come to a group where you can be the full spectrum of you. And there's no secret code about what's spiritual or not spiritual. Um, and, like, I just want to read you guys. This is really sweet. I got two messages today from women who were in my programs last year. Two of them sent me on the same day. One says, your work really matters. Some of the girls from this year's program are on a group text thread and they saved me last night. I've been having a really dark week and they helped me remind me of who I am. Your work has brought us together. I'm so grateful for you. I wanted to let you know. I was like, oh my God. And then this other one. Hi, Alexandra. I want to make sure you know what a difference you make. There are a bunch of us in a group text and every day someone asks if anyone wants to practice. And without exaggeration, the last 14 days, there have been 12 sessions where we've met up. We meet up, we set intentions, we debrief, we practice. We're not afraid to show up when someone is struggling. Look at these beautiful women with expressions of pure sisterhood that you coached into creation. Thank you. You're one remarkable woman. Woman. That touched my heart so much. I love you guys. Thank you for saying that to me. 
But I realized that's part of my superpower is creating community and bringing women together and helping them find their their people, especially the women that are like the ones who are a little rough around the edges, have done some things in the past that they regret, um, you know, maybe are really hungry for love, hungry for sex, hungry for art, want to travel, want to break free. Like there's a particular flavor of us when we get together. You know, we aren't afraid to roll around on the floor and, and dance and shake their booty, but also like have a deep sacred thread. Sometimes I'm like, is that rare that people can hold both poles so deeply that sexual, embodied, sensual, and also this deep spiritual? I'm so grateful that I attract those women and that I'm not saying that I'm going to save you or heal you, but I'm just saying, let's come together and let me be a trusting guide for you. Yeah, that feels really fucking good. So this is another invitation, not just a sales pitch. You know, it's more about creating belonging, whether it's just you listening to this podcast or more. But if you do listen to this podcast and it's feeding you and you're, you know, getting something deep from it, what is keeping you from coming a layer closer, coming a step closer into greater intimacy with others who are like-hearted, like-minded? Um What's keeping you from that? And if it's money, we have scholarships. And so we come together in Radical Awakenings 2023. We come together twice a month. There's going to be two sessions, well, two sessions with me. And then there's going to be another session with an, an amazing woman on our team. I won't say her name here quite yet until we sign the contract. <laughs> She's amazing, amazing, amazing. We'll do some astrology, some lunar ritual with her. With me, you'll have an embodiment session with um, breath, sound movement, emotional expression, prayer, ritual. Um, and then you'll have Q&A with me where you can ask questions. You can be coached live. And then we'll also have a creative session where we do writing together. We share ideas and each month has a theme. And so all of that will center around the theme and we'll have some space for open discussion as well. And then there are small group cohorts, which some of our veteran women who have been in programs past are going to host so that you can have a small group of women to hold you. So you're basically getting a full sisterhood friendship circle um, of people that you can be really fucking real with who have no agenda for you. And that's cool. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, uh, yeah, so you, so that's kind of what it looks like. And if you can't attend the gatherings live, you get a recording the next day. So you can just pop it in, light a candle, lay down, um, pull a card and dive into practice even the next day, which I find to be really wonderful. And then, you know, when we get into the discussion bits, you can take a walk or something and incorporate it while you're exercising. But when we do the practice, you can do it with us or you can just come live, which is awesome. Um, and if you haven't been in a Zoom room of women screaming and crying and dancing and playing and clapping for each other and whatever, if that sounds intimidating, come. If it sounds delicious, come. Um, one thing that I that I hold and that I carry is a say is a way of holding a really deep sacred thread, and I can say that with full confidence that I can 
carry that and I hold that and I bring that to every space and I'm a channeler. Um, I open my channel. I say things. I don't remember what I say after. And that's part of what I bring into every space. Sometimes we'll do guided visualizations, journey, visioning, setting intentions for the cycle coming ahead. I've been leading groups like this online for the last seven years and I love it. I love it, love it, love it. So join us. Um, join us, join us. We want to have you. And this is another way to contribute to my work too, to the podcast, um, to step closer in. Okay. All right. Love you guys lots. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo. And you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.